0: Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are continuing our look at the Gospel of Matthew. We're continuing in the ninth chapter of the Gospel. Remember that yesterday, uh, Jesus called Matthew and then went to a banquet at his house, and the Pharisees wanted to understand why Jesus was eating with people they considered to be more or less scum, and so Jesus... Um, responds by saying that that he is a physician there to serve and heal the sick, and then sends him away with the challenge of understanding what uh, Hosea said. Uh, God said through the prophet Hosea, "I desire mercy and not sacrifice." And he says, "I came to call not the righteous but sinners," and so it's the same message and the same um, group of people that he sent to, that, that John goes to. And so there's a skepticism then that John had about the Pharisees and that Jesus has about the Pharisees. John calls them a brood of vipers who warned you to flee the wrath that was to come, show fruit in keeping with repentance. If you're really here to repent and be baptized, then, well, there ought to be some proof of that. It ought to look like that. It ought to look like you repented. Um, and so Jesus is saying essentially the same thing there is that you don't, you don't see your need of me. They do. Um, and so the next thing that happens then. so the disciples of John come. As I said yesterday, everybody's a little confused. Jesus doesn't fit neatly into any of the boxes. And so everybody's a little confused about what's going on. I mean, they wouldn't have hung out with tax collectors and sinners either. There's a whole lot of things about Jesus's ministry, especially now the call of Matthew. It's very confusing. And so the, the disciples of John come, and previously they would have thought, yeah, we're pretty aligned with Jesus. He's the one John baptized and pointed to. And he also affirmed John's ministry. So we thought he was like one of us. But now they come and they say, why do we and the Pharisees fast but your disciples don't? That's an odd mix. <laughs> we, John's disciples, and the Pharisees. I mean, that, that is not two well-aligned groups. <laughs> John didn't have a lot of use for the Pharisees and, and and was quick to say it. So the fact that John's disciples and the Pharisees are now finding some sort of common cause, hey we under what they're saying is we understand them, we know why we fast and they fast too and so that, that there's an affirmation there uh, of of that. So why do we fast but your disciples don't? Just Help us understand. <clears throat> and Jesus said to them, "Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they'll fast. So there'll there'll be a time when I'm not here, when when my people will fast, and and, and we should, and I don't very often. It, it's it's a discipline that I need to to actually kind of reintroduce into my own life because I haven't been practicing it." lately, and, it, and it's, it should be a way of denial of the body in order to focus on something else. It's, I, I had a conversation with a buddy of mine this week about meditation, actually, and, and he said that he'd been trying to meditate uh, recently, over the last several months, actually, and he had used some guided meditation um, recorded material and he said that, that what he had realized was is that, that it was causing great anxiety in him and also uh, a lot of, uh, like, almost panic attacks. A- and he was having a lot of bad visions, you know, things that from his past that were not pleasant that were being brought in through this. And he said, what would you think if I stopped doing that? And I said, I think that would be a fantastic idea. Because the, the point of uh, meditation in a Christian sense, it's not to clear your mind. That That's an Eastern thing. It's to dissolve into the nothingness of the universe and, and merge with the consciousness of the universe, the universal consciousness. And so that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to fix ourselves on him. And, and so when we meditate, we should be meditating on scripture. We should be meditating on Jesus. Um, and the way to meditate on Jesus would be to meditate on all the works that he did and including especially his death, resurrection, ascension, and coming reign. So that's part of the issue with fasting. What we're trying to do is we're trying to deny the body, not that the body doesn't have needs. We're recognizing the body has needs. um, But what's the difference between need and desire? And we're trying to come to that and to tell the body, you don't get to rule. And so the, the mind and the heart can then be more engaged, and there's a purgation, a cleansing that happens in that, because as we take things away from ourselves, which we're getting ready to do in Lent, when we take things away and deny the body power, then, then what it does, it brings up some unpleasant things in a lot of ways, because we're accustomed to living in a satiated way. And so to deny the body something then is an effort to more closely align with God to get to say desire can't control, then, then there has to be something else that controls. And so, so prayer, study, and all that, we don't fast without adding di- other disciplines so the, the goal should be to draw close to God. And so what Jesus says is there's no reason, since since I'm right here, since the bridegroom is here, there's, you don't fast. No, you, you feast at that time. And so his presence on earth is, a, is the supreme evidence of God's goodness and his love for us. And so when he's there, then you're, you're going not to fast, but to feast, and I want to give you a quickly kind of go through, sort of how big a deal fasting is and was in in this time. So there's three basic categories of of fast days in Judaism, and the first category is is the um, the ones prescribed by the Bible. That's Yom Kippur, is is one. Um, it's the only one actually ordained in the first five books. And then there's the ninth of Av, the month of Av, which is a morning for the destruction of the first and second temples. The, now, the second temple hadn't happened, I mean, hadn't been destroyed yet, but they still celebrated that or observed that fast on that day because the first temple had been destroyed on that day, and then other calamitous occasions had happened at the same time. Then the 17th of Tammuz, the month of Tammuz, which is the, the breaching of the walls of Jerusalem in the first temple period. Um, and then Titus breached the walls of Jerusalem. The 10th of Tevet. And the, Tevet, the, the, the 10th of, it's, it, whenever I say it, it, of, it, it's going to mean that that's the name of the month. So then there's the 10th of Tevet is the memory of the siege of Jerusalem by, by Nebuchadnezzar. The third of Tishri, called Yom Gediah. Um, is in memory of the slaying of Gediah and his associates as, as chronicled in Jer- Jerusalem, uh, yeah, Sorry, Jeremiah 41, 1-2. There's a, a fast of Esther, which is what she called, when she called for the fast prior to the day of Purim. And then also there's four other fast days observed at the same time that Zechariah had prophesied, which are the Day of the Atonement and the Ninth of Av. Um, and, and then so there, that's until nightfall. So then, there are others there as well, and they're movable fasts depending on if they fall on the Sabbath or not. And then there are other fasts that are decreed by the rabbis during that period of time—the days between Rosh Hashanah and the Day of Atonement. So there's ten days there, and as many days as possible in the month preceding it—the first Monday and Thursday, and the following Monday after Passover and Sukkot, which is the Feast of Booths. Um, so that's an atonement for possible sins committed in a state of drunkenness and gluttony during the holidays. Um, there's another one um, in, in the winter months, in, during the three weeks of mourning between the 17th of Tammuz, when there's a fast, and the 7th of Av, when there's a fast. Um, that was motivated by a profound grief for the destruction of Jerusalem. The 7th of Adar, which is the day that many people uh, observe, the death of Moses, And then also the last day of every month for some people, which is the sort of mini Yom Kippur's. And then there were private fasts that were kept at the anniversary of a parent's death or that of a teacher. The groom and the bride fast on their wedding day until the time of the ceremony. Um, If you have nightmares, then then you fast. So if a Torah scroll is dropped... Than you do. I mean, so there's all kinds of fasts in the calendar. So it would have been obvious that Jesus wasn't keeping these things because they were frequently, his, his ministry was around table fellowship. And so it'd be easy for them to see that he wasn't observing the fasts that they did. And they fasted frequently. I mean, I don't know how many that is, how many days that is potentially that I, that I listed there, but it's, you know, probably 60 or so. If you fasted as many days during the month of Elul as possible, if you fasted during that 10-day period of, of uh, preparation for Yom Kippur, all these things, you'd be fasting a lot. And, and so it would be obvious the people who were not observing those fasts would stick out like sore thumbs. And so Jesus' people are not doing this. And so the, 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 the disciples of John, who had previously kind of assumed we're all aligned and on the same page, now see that he's not doing this. And so when they come, they ask the question. And when they do, they align themselves with the Pharisees who keep the same practices regarding fasting as they do. Like I said, in spite of the fact that John is very cynical about them as people, and about the quality of their righteousness and the character of anything like repentance in them, he would have been very, very critical of them. But here they see what we got something in common. We thought we were kind of we were sort of lined up with you, but you're not fasting, and we just don't understand that. We'd like to understand why you're not. And so he, he, after that, Jesus, in order to, to sort of explain why. They're not fasting. He says, "No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. You got to pre-shrink it, right? Um, But that wasn't something they would have done. So you you have to shrink it first, and then put it on, or otherwise you're going to have this new thing. And when it's applied to the garment, and then it shrinks, it's going to tear that hole even even more widely." He says, neither is new wine put into old wine skins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. The skins have already been stretched by the previous. Wine that had fermented in there, and now you're talking about putting another one in there, and they're already the skin is stretched to its limit. So you're going to put new wine in there. It's going to ferment and and going to expand even further, and everything's going to be gone. You're going to lose the wine and the skins. No, new wine is put into fresh wine skins, and so both are preserved. And so that's the comparison that Jesus makes. It's the analogy between these two things and the other. and and so what he's saying, this is new. This is a new thing. You can't put the new thing into the old thing and make it, make it work right. That I'm doing something new. And, and so what they need to understand is the, the comparison that he makes here. When he calls himself the bridegroom is, is among the wedding guests. They knew exactly what he was claiming. When he claimed to be the bridegroom, he is absolutely claiming that he is the Messiah that he is the one sent by God. He is unique and has the ability to change all the laws, as the ceremonial laws and things like that that he's talking about here, because these would have been law. but But Jesus says, no, when I'm here, then the law goes away. The presence of God among you changes everything. His presence, he says, changes everything. If you don't think Jesus is making a big claim here, then you're really not paying any attention. Because what he said is is that the old laws don't apply when I, the bridegroom, am here. And that would have been stunning to hear them, him say that. I mean, he, he is saying, I have the power and the authority to subvert that part of the ceremonial law. And that's the law that passes away. I mean, that's the reason we don't do away with law regarding sin. We do away with laws regarding ceremonies and things like that. So I'm I'm certainly not an advocate for saying we should observe Yom Kippur, we should observe Rosh Hashanah, we should observe Passover, uh, Feast of Booths, all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that at all. Never say that. I don't celebrate those things. It's useful to know them because God ordained them. And so we should see types and anti-types between those ceremonies, those observances, those festivals, and and Jesus. We should see him as the fulfillment of each of every one of those things. But we should fast. <clears throat> because they, they were fasting and observing and praying um, in this interim period between Uh, the the return of the exiles and the coming of messiah jesus says that right now i'm here and he said later when i'm not my disciples will fast and so we are those who are now waiting between the comings we're waiting between the coming of jesus here in the gospels and then his coming again and so we are are to fast and pray in recognition that, that we want his kingdom to come because we're dissatisfied with the way of the world. We're dissatisfied with the state of things. No matter how good our particular personal situations might be, we, we should be fasting in order to express and to show that, that we recognize that we are blessed, maybe, but the rest of the world suffers. And so whatever our situation might be at any given point in time uh, is immaterial to the way we understand things, because the the world is not John-centric, you know, right? It's not just centered around me. The world doesn't revolve around me. But you know the reality? The reality is I need to be reminded of that. And fasting is one of the ways that we can be reminded of that, because it focuses our attention on something other than meeting our own needs and desires. So <clears throat> there's a reason to, to fast, but the bigger point here is Jesus is making an enormous claim, an enormous claim, that when he's among us, we don't fast. That makes him unique. <laughs> there is nobody else about whom that can be said. Even the emperor of Rome can't tell the Jews not to fast. Jesus says, I'm the reason to feast, and I'm among you. And my presence is with you, and when it is, you don't fast. No matter what the Bible says, no matter what the rabbis say. It's a powerful statement and an enormous claim that he's making here. But again, uh, you see that nobody can figure out exactly how to align themselves with him, and ultimately that's what has to happen in the same way. This when Joshua comes He's before the conquest of Jericho and he sees the angel of the Lord's armies and he asks him, are you on their side or our side? And he says, I'm on the Lord's side. And the rest of that sentence is, so you better be, too. And that's exactly the, the way this reads. Jesus says, you know, you you should align yourself with me. It's not my responsibility to align myself with this party or that party. Mm-hmm. I'm my own party. And so he's presenting a challenge to them. Do you see who I am? Do you know who I am? You heard what I said in a minute. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.